of the year 2020, uh, we live in a pretty remarkable age. Like, like all of the information that we have uh, at our fingertips, uh, even just in a phone, and you look at this, and, and computers uh, used to fill up an entire room. Like, at least that's what I've been told. <laughs> I, I know that there may be some here that lived during that time. I, I remember my dad telling me about that, uh, that computers used to run by like punching dots on paper and then like feeding it into that, and that's how computers ran. Uh, but we've lived over the last 50 years just incredible leaps and bounds when it comes to technology. And, and now we have things that fit into our pocket that are more powerful than computers that filled up rooms. With these things, uh, we can look up how to do almost anything now. Like, like I always try and do things on my own. You know, and so the other year I was like trying to work on a snowblower uh, and I'm sitting there and um, I'm trying to open it up and it's not quite working. Uh, and so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out the hammer and a pry bar. And <laughs> this thing's coming apart one way or the other. And I'm like, you know what? Like, let me go to my phone first <laughs> and type in on YouTube. And all you have to do is like just look at the model number and type it in. And this information comes up and it's like, oh, yeah, there's this and I just need this socket and it all comes uh, apart. We can find out how to do how many different things. Uh, if there is uh, a leak in our plumbing, potentially we can go online uh, on this old house and watch an episode uh, of how to fix that. We want to learn how to make the perfect scrambled egg. You, you can go and do that. I learned that I cut onions wrong. Uh, and so just go online and you can learn how to cut onions like super fast uh, and that you don't cry. And so there's so many different things. Uh, but even with all this knowledge, mankind cannot solve our greater problems. Try to go on YouTube and say, how do we get rid of coronavirus? How many different things are you going to see? <laughs> wear masks. Don't wear masks. No, it wasn't. Is this me? I'm going to pause for a second. Is this me that, that's cutting in and out? Do I need to change a battery or something? They're all good. Okay. So, um, yeah, you, you can find how many different things on that, and there's no answer. Okay, we've got riots and things happening. Like, let's Google how to fix that. And if you Google about the riots, you're going to find things that say, yeah, just go riot. Like, actually, this is what our country needs, is more things burning and more things tearing down. And then you're going to have opposing viewpoints uh, on every side. And so we have all this knowledge at our fingertips, but sometimes this knowledge is actually causing greater and greater divisions between people. Uh, and progress that we have leads to even greater damage uh, to one another, uh, to the earth, and to ourselves. Uh, just look at the Industrial Revolution. And like how much helpful that is for us to be able to do things. But now we have pollution and poisons and, and things in the water and all of these problems that our progress has caused. And, and yet we don't have a simple fix for that either. Today we're going to be getting uh, a new series called What's the Difference? Uh, and again, we're going through Second Peter and we're doing this in order to determine what's the difference uh, between an earthly view and a Christian worldview. And we'll see that the worldview and morals of society uh, constantly shift and change. 
What's acceptable today wasn't acceptable 30 years ago. What's acceptable 30 years ago wouldn't have been acceptable 40 years before that. And then it's constantly shifting and changing, and not just within the whole globe, but within different pockets of the globe. What you can wear in France, you can't wear in Saudi Arabia, but you could wear here, but you can't wear there. And it is constantly shifting and changing based on the emotions and preferences of whatever population and whatever is popular at the time. However, the Christian worldview uh, submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord does not change. It's a worldview that's anchored from eternity past, goes through the present and into the eternal future and points to a hope that's beyond this world. I'm really excited about this series, especially in the time that we're living in, uh, because I think it's going to challenge us uh, in the way that we view things on a daily basis. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we'll go to 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, that's all we're going to go through today is just these four verses, uh, because I think there's some really profound statements uh, in these passages uh, that we don't necessarily live according to the truths that they proclaim. Uh, and so it'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along. It starts off in verse 1 by saying, Simeon Peter, uh, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So, so again, this is Peter. I uh, was apostle with Jesus. We, we know his story. Uh, he was impetuous at times. Uh, he had a temper at times. He's the guy that cut the ear off. Uh, Malchus, which was a, a servant uh, of the temple when they came to arrest Jesus. Uh, Peter was the one that was sitting in a boat when they were walking, watching Jesus walk by uh, on water. And he's like, oh, Lord, if you want, like, I'll get out and walk. And, and so he gets out. He starts walking on water. And when he sees the wind and the waves, uh, he begins to sink. Jesus reaches out uh, and helps him get back on the boat. This is Peter, uh, who at one point was on a mountain with Jesus uh, as Jesus was transfigured before him. And this is the same Peter uh, who would then later deny Jesus three times uh, on the night that he was betrayed. Seeing all these things, like walking on water, uh, dead, raised to life, uh, and here's Peter, uh, and a servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, you're with Jesus. I, I don't know the guy. Another person, I tell you, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. And then the rooster crows, Peter realizes what he does, uh, has done, and then later reconciles with Jesus after the resurrection. And so he saw Jesus uh, after the resurrection, saw him enter into a locked room, like, like this who is writing this letter, just to kind of put that into context. We have Simon Peter, the servant, uh, or bond servant, it's that Greek word doulos, uh, where he has willingly given his whole life to Jesus Christ as Lord a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May peace and uh, grace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So we're looking at this, these four verses, and, and the first thing that stands out to me 
uh, is who Peter is, right? Apostle, walked with Jesus, saw these miracles. There, there was a point uh, where Peter would, people would line up uh, on the street uh, in hopes that his shadow would pass over them and, and they might be healed. Uh, and so here's Peter the Apostle that ate with Jesus Christ, uh, that potentially um, was on all these trips with him, experienced all of these different things. Uh, and he's writing to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Writing to us here today, and those that he sent the letter to, that have a faith equal to ours. Uh, do you grasp what he's saying here? That, that we have been given a faith that is equal to or same of the apostles. This faith is the Greek word pistis. It's, it's an absolute trust in Christ as Savior. And so we might be sitting there and we're looking at Peter and everything that he did. Him and John were walking into the temple and there was a man who had been lame from birth lying there on the ground. He's like, can I have some money? And, and the reply to him is, we don't have money, but we do have, in the name of Jesus, pick up your cot and walk. And the man walked and began dancing. Would we say that we have the same faith as, as that? And I think our, our initial response is, as we contemplate that, at least as I contemplate that, is I'm like, no. Like, like, like Peter was Peter, the rock, right? Like, like leading the church. As the church was beginning, uh, he would sit there in a courtroom facing the very judges of the Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus Christ to death. And he had boldness to say, you killed the Messiah. Would I have that same faith? And so when I think about my own abilities, I think about my own life, I, I think about my own interactions, uh, even as a pastor sitting here on the stage, uh, my tendency, my initial tendency is to say, Peter was in a whole different league. Uh, he was one of the 12. The council of Jerusalem. Like this, this was Peter. But yet Peter himself is writing to those, which means us, who have received a faith equal to ours. Equal to that of the apostles. And as a whole different dynamic in this as well, when we get into John chapter 20, just to put this into context a little bit, uh, in verse 24, it says Thomas, who is the twin, he's one of the twelve. So this is Thomas. Uh, sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas because of this passage. But he was an apostle. So again, Peter's saying, we here today have the same faith as the apostles. So Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, or put my finger into the mark of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Like, just imagine that situation alone. 
like, like you're kind of in a locked room. Your, your house is locked in the middle of night. Like, like you've, I, every night I have the same routine. I check both doors like five times. Uh, my wife rolls her eyes as she sees me go back and forth between the kitchen and the living room. I'm like, okay, it was locked. Do I remember it was locked? And, and, and so the doors are locked. Like you're, you've kind of like you're in for the night. Doors are locked. Windows are locked. Uh, you're settling in. Uh, and all of a sudden, somebody's just there and says, peace with you. Like, what's the response in that moment? Like, like, and this is what Jesus did a second time. And so he does that uh, and, and just revealing his, his resurrected power uh, in that situation. So it reveals himself. And Thomas is there. Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and says, put your finger here. Like, all right, stick it into my hand. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And so Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, So just right there, imagine the bolster of faith in that moment. You see Thomas' response. Jesus just appears in the room in his resurrected body. The, the wounds are in his hands representing what happened to him. And in that moment, Thomas has no doubt. And his response again is, my Lord and my God, my King, my Savior, you are my God. Jesus replies in that moment, because you've seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us here today. And what Peter is saying is that even though we have not seen, we, we have not walked on water with Jesus Christ. We have not seen him uh, come into a locked room. In fact, Scripture promises we won't see him until he comes back and the sky splits and the army of heaven is behind him. And, and yet we're here today. Why? Because we know he's real. He is our King. He is our Lord and our God. And we have believed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we absolutely trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation and for our eternity. And Peter is saying this, this faith, this trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is equal to that of the apostles. But, but in that, there is a key because it's not a faith that is built up based on examining the facts and being able to, to understand intellectually whatever Scripture is able to, to point to. And it's not a faith that we can build up or manufacture or just blindly trust. This word pistis is that absolute trust, but the key word here in this passage uh, is the word received of faith equal to ours that we here today have received of faith. This word received in the, um, is the Strong's Greek 2975, uh, which is lanchano, which means to receive by divine allotment, to obtain as something is given to you. And so this sense 
uh, of faith that's equal to that of the apostles is not something that we have earned. It's not something that we've been able to go through the tests of life and come out on the other side, but rather it is something that we have received by divine allotment. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, talks about that we're saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that this faith is a gift in of itself, so that we can't boast that like, oh yeah, look at this faith that I've been able to, to gain in my life. It is a gift uh, from God, and the source of it is clear in verse 1, where it says you've received this faith from, that is equal to the apostles through the righteousness of God and Jesus. So again, it's not our own righteousness that gives us this faith, but it's rather the, the goodness and righteousness of God Himself giving us this faith to trust in Christ, transforming our lives, our minds, our hearts, rescuing us out of the darkness of this world and, and giving a hope that is beyond anything that we can experience in the here and now. Uh, he gives it to us out of His grace and love and mercy in that we might be reconciled and restored to a relationship with God Himself that was destroyed when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered into the world and death through sin. Jesus Christ on the cross purchased this restoration of peace with God. Where we're in a, a righteous standing before Him because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And then through this righteousness, then we go to verse 2 uh, again. And it says, May this grace, this grace that we've received through the forgiveness of our sins and the peace with God, um, or if this was the Hebrew word, it would be uh, related to shalom, but it's irene in, um, in the Greek. It says, May this be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so just these verses are talking about this immense gift that we're given, the faith of trusting in Christ for salvation that's equal to the faith that the apostles had because of grace. And, and now he's saying, may this grace and peace that you have through this gift be multiplied through knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. But the question in here then is, what, what is this knowledge? What, what is this knowledge of God and Jesus? Is it uh, how much scriptures we're able to, to memorize? To, to be able to understand and clearly explain things like the Trinity or the existence of hell? Is it the ability to tell the difference between consubstantiation and transubstantiation when it comes to communion? No. The difference uh, in those things uh, has to do with the way Catholics look at it and the way we look at it. But what this knowledge here uh, is talking about uh, is the Greek epignosis, uh, which means two different things. It means uh, a uh, precise and correct knowledge of God, but it also means uh, a personal relationship and experiential knowledge of God. It's, it's um, reflected in a marriage where you're able to, to know about your spouse, 
You know what they've been through. That you know their likes and their dislikes. This is the kind of food they can have. They're allergic to this. Like, like that's just knowledge, but it's completely different from, from knowing them and who they are and, and their hearts and walking through life with them. This is what it's talking about, that grace and peace is multiplied through a twofold knowledge of God. It's, it's knowing about Him. Knowing who He is, what His requirements are, uh, how He has chosen to love us uh, and give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To take in that knowledge so that we know who He is and we fall in love. and We love Him because He first loved us and then we walk it through this experiential thing in life now where He cares for us and we look at Him as the shepherd in Psalm 23. It was David's ability then uh, to know both about God, but also to know his heart and to be a man after God's own heart. We're called to do both of these things. And I think often in this world, uh, we try to separate head and heart knowledge. And we pursue them in two different ways. And as Christians, we're called to find grace and peace multiplied through us or to us through both knowing more about God but also experiencing Him more. And so we're called to study. We need to look at Scripture. We need to, to wrestle through these passages and see what He tells us uh, to do, how to follow Him, but also to see like, how He loves other people and therefore loves us. But then also to go through life in worship and relationship with God. That as we pray to Him, uh, in Romans chapter 8, it says that we can call out to Him as Abba or as Daddy. So we, we can talk to God in a way uh, that is relational and not just rigid intellectualism. But going to Him as a father and saying, I, this was me yesterday. I was in a car um, doing some errands um, and I was having a 40-year-old temper tantrum uh, it's the only way I really can put it. Um, things just didn't quite go the way that I wanted to that day. Like I had a plan of like what I wanted to accomplish, uh, and a few things kind of derailed it. Um, and and I'm sitting here trying to work on the message for today, actually, and, and I'm just like just feeling angry because these other things didn't happen because they didn't happen. Now I'm feeling angry and justified that I'm angry because I wanted these things to happen and they didn't. Uh, and now I'm sitting here and I've got my computer and my Bible in front of me and I'm trying to work on this message. And I'm just like, Ugh. and so then I tried to do some work around the house. You know, like, let me just go lift a vacuum and vacuum up the stairs and carry this weight and, you know, just get some physical energy out to, like, get this anger out. And, come, and I go and I sit down. And I'm just like, I just couldn't engage with trying to write the message for this morning. And so I was like, oh, fine, I'm just going to go drop off some packages. And so I get into the car, I start driving. And, and as I'm driving and some worship music's on, I just begin to pray. And, and as I'm praying, I, I mean, I'm starting off from this position of like, I'm angry. Like, why didn't things go the way I wanted things to go? I, and honestly, that was my question to God, almost in the same tone of voice, too, uh, as I'm driving. So if you saw me, you were like, <laughs> you know? But it's that relational aspect. That that's where I was in the moment. I was struggling with anger. And, and God knows that already. And so I could try and pretend by saying, 
you know, God, thank you for this day and all these blessings. And, you know, I just want to glorify you and help me. Like, he knows what's going on inside me. He knows everything that I'm struggling with and even the fact that I'm going through a 40-year-old temper tantrum. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to pray. Out of, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry with these things. Well, why are you angry? Well, because they didn't go the way I wanted them to go. So what? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then I was able to wrestle through that. Why was I feeling that way? Able to understand that, you know, I had my plans and purposes, but God had something different to go on for that day. And was I truly submitting my life and my time to him? Or was I holding my plans rigidly instead of saying your way is greater than my way? But it's through relationship that we are, are able to have him work on our hearts that way. It's not just this rigid understanding. Like I could sit there and, and be angry in the moment and, and start quoting verses like, oh, I'm angry, things didn't go my way. Like, like be angry, but do not sin. Or, or be, pray in supplication in all things. Right? Like I could quote verses and intellectually, like that should work, Right? We have to engage emotionally as well because we serve a living God who knows our weaknesses, Hebrews tells us, and is able to intercede with us and for us and minister to us regardless of what situation we're in. And so we're called to find grace and peace multiplied in our life by both knowing more about God but also walking in that relationship with him. And walking in that relationship in him or with him uh, also is what submits the entirety of our life. Because it's not just what's in our head that we're submitting to him now, but it's the way we live and the way that we walk with him. Through both, we choose to deeply connect with him. And then in that, as, as we submit the entirety of who we are, our identity, our thoughts, our life, we find verse 3 then comes true. His divine power has given us everything. Given us everything required for life and godliness. Through knowledge, it's the same word. It's the exact same word that we just went through. It's through this knowledge of understanding who God is, but living uh, in a relationship with Him. It's that uh, dual knowledge of Him. So divine power, giving us everything required for life and godliness through this knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. When we submit everything to Him, He provides everything that we need in this life. Really? Is this true? Do we actually believe that this uh, is true? That He gives us everything, oh, not that we want, that we require. And so sometimes as we go through this relationship, we realize the things that we're asking of God, the expectations that we have for our own life are, are truly more desires than requirements. And then when we don't get what we desire, we go through 40-year-old temper tantrums or, or whatever experience you may have uh, when things don't go the way that you hoped that they would go. 
or that you planned for them to go. But every circumstance uh, in life, if we've lost a job, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to go through. But what yet he promises is that he's our provider. And it wasn't your boss. It wasn't your business. It wasn't your inheritance if you were lucky enough to have that. That's not your provision. God is your provision. And so he's giving everything that you require. We just got comfortable with a certain circumstance. And when it's gone, it hurts. But we still have him. Have we lost a a loved one in life? There is a pain and a mourning that happens through death and multiple different experiences of that. That that sense of mourning is right because Jesus himself mourned for Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible is two words, Jesus wept. And that's when he wept and mourned for the death of Lazarus before he went to resurrect him. So Jesus is mourning death Because it's a result of sin, even though he knew the outcome of that would be like, I'm going to go there and say, hey, Lazarus, why don't you come out? Let's go have lunch. So Jesus even knew that was going to happen, but he was mourning. So it's right for us to mourn in this as well, but also to realize that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And that God has given us a provision for life and godliness through mourning. Through being betrayed. He was betrayed by Judas. We can be betrayed by many different people. If we're angry, if we're confused, if we're looking to buy a car, if we're looking to buy a home, walking and abiding with Christ in all of these things is our strength and our guidance. It's why I'm so thankful that Dale pointed to that passage and now I don't have to say it this morning. Like we abide in Christ And as we abide in him, then the fruit comes in Christ pointing to and glorifying Christ Jesus instead of ourselves. But he is our source and he is our supply in all of these things. And everything that God gives to us, everything that's required for life in godliness is a transformational gift. The things that he gives us uh, does not enable us to continue on in a life that's rooted in this world, in the priorities of this world. Everything that he gives us for life and godliness results in a new identity. We are no longer ourselves, but now servants. uh, Peter, as he's bringing this out, the very first thing he said, here, I'm Simeon Peter, uh, a servant of Jesus. The word servant, I mentioned it before, is the Greek word doulos. It, it means bondservant. Uh, within the Old Testament, a bondservant uh, is someone who considered himself uh, to be a slave of a master willingly. And in fact, they would go up to a doorpost uh, and put their earlobe against it, and they would pierce their ear with a special ring that signified, I've willingly chosen to give everything to this master. My whole life is now in his hands. I trust him completely for my provision, for my safety, for my security, for my retirement, for my future. That's what we're called to do. We're given a new identity in Jesus Christ where it's no longer about us, but about him. 
And he promises to take care of us. We're, we're given new priorities, new goals, new provision that is of an eternal nature as he provides for our physical needs as well by seeking first the kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. Verse 3, and then we'll go into verse 4. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Again, it was him calling us out because of his glory, his goodness, not anything that we did to earn this, but his love and his grace. By these, by his glory and his goodness, by those two things, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. These passages have so much of eternal value in this. Uh, he has given us the same faith as Peter and Thomas. Supernaturally, you have that because he's given it to you and you trust him in, for, uh, for salvation. In this, he's given us everything required for life and godliness. Here and now on earth and for eternity to come. He's, by his own glory and goodness, given us great and precious promises so that through these promises, we share in the divine nature. A relationship with God himself. Deposit, a deposit of the Holy Spirit within us. Ephesians 1 talks about that. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed in John chapter 17, talks about him being in us, but he is in the Father, and then we are in the Father, and yet they are in us, and we are in them. And, and it's just this interconnected, supernatural, mystic, divine nature relationship that he purchased for us by his blood at the cross. And, and then he promises, he gives us these precious and great promises. We're going to look at some of these through the series, but I just want to take off a, a moment here this morning and just give you an opportunity. Like, what are some of these promises that, that he's given to us that you hold and you value and, and you treasure? Does anybody have something that this is a promise that I stand on, that God has given to me? Uses all things for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. Absolutely. Anybody else? Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The righteous shall be delivered. The seed? Seed of the righteous shall be delivered. By his stripes we are healed. His love. Just the fact that He loves us. Right? And, and not just like a distant love, but it's the word agape, like a selfish, sacrificial love. He loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son so that none may perish but have hope for everlasting life. Thank you. Anything else? Like we could go all day. Yeah. Transformed into the image of Christ day to day. With that, he promises that he's going to complete the work that he began in us. Like we might be sitting here and saying, okay, God's going to, he promises that I'm going to be perfect someday. Like all this sin is going to be, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But in Philippians chapter 1, he says he promises that he will complete the work that he has begun. 
Absolutely. How about the fact that at one point there will be no more sin, no more death, no more dying, no more sickness, no more coronavirus, no more masks, no more political seasons. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like there's going to be a day where there's no elections for temporary seats that get a semblance of control, but Christ is on the throne. Like these are the promises that we have. We go to Isaiah where it's talking uh, a prophecy and it, it's talking about uh, his name will be Prince of Peace, Counselor, Heavenly Father, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All of these promises he has given to us and through these promises we're able to share in the divine nature of a relationship with him. Through his death on the cross, through the forgiveness of our sins, uh, we are adopted into the family of God and promised an inheritance uh, and eternity with him. How do we value these promises? Is it something that we hold dear to us? That, that we treasure and, and we value? If you have a bond note from the U.S. government and you, and you purchase it 20 years ago or whatever, maybe you have a bunch of them. It's just a piece of paper. That's a promise that at some point you can exchange it for, for money. What do you do with that piece of paper? Like you have a lockbox or a firebox. You put it someplace safe and you take care of it so that nothing happens to it. And all that paper is just a promise um, of, of you getting money when you exchange it. And that promise may or may not come true depending on what happens when you decide to exchange it. Like, like I remember as a kid going on a field trip to, to Madison and um, I bought Confederate money. I, I thought it was like so cool. Like, like here's a thousand dollar bill that I just bought for like five dollars. Uh, like I go and show my dad. I'm like, can you believe it? They were selling a thousand dollars for five dollars. Like, like I'm rich now. Uh, that's not worth anything. But that paper was a promise to somebody that it was worth a thousand dollars. This world cannot keep its promises because it has nothing to anchor them in. It's all temporary. Everything of this world is dust and to dust it returns. But the promises of God are not anchored in this world. They're anchored in Him. The supreme value in His goodness and glory. That's what they're anchored in. The divinity of God Himself is what guarantees the promise that He gives to us. Now how do we guard those promises? If we were going to guard something that valuable, we would keep it safe. We would keep it protected. And yet, in our lives, I think we go through and we don't even consider these promises sometimes. We, we don't keep them protected in our mind and in our heart. That knowledge that is both intellectual and experiential 
Do we keep those promises in the forefront of our identity, the way that we live our lives, that we make our choices, that we wrestle with our emotions, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we review uh, or, or look towards the results of this election? It's the biggest thing that people are talking about right now is either coronavirus or the election. What's going to happen with these two things? Is everything going to come back to normal or not? Is this person going to be president or not? If, if this person becomes president, that's just so that the VP can become president instead of him because this happens, blah, blah, blah. Like, like there's so many rabbit trails that people are going down right now, and, and they're leaning on these things as, as their future hope and security. I want to go back to normal. Is that ever going to happen so that I can have a normal life? I want this person to be president because if this person is president, I get these things that I want. And, and if those are at the forefront of our mind, they're pushing these promises to the back of our mind that says Jesus is on the throne and the results of the election do not matter in the light of eternity. They just don't. Now, life on earth might get easier or more difficult depending on things. And we're called to participate as God leads us uh, to participate within the system of, of the government that we're in. But it cannot be our crutch. It cannot be our stability. It cannot be our foundation. Jesus Christ must be. And the promises that he's given to us out of his glory and his goodness. And if we allow different things in this world to be the focus of our mind, we're not doing what Romans 12 says to transform our mind, to renew it by discerning what the perfect will of God is. The perfect will of God is standing on his promises that gives us an anchor and security in this world that is the difference of our worldview compared to the difference of the world. The earthly worldview is anchored in this earth and whatever might happen on it. The Christian worldview is anchored in Jesus Christ and eternity and what he says is going to happen. If we go back uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1, the first letter that he wrote, um, uh, rather chapter 2, uh, he says uh, regarding those who find salvation in Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Again, this is not an earthly nation. This is a spiritual truth. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you to live as strangers and exiles and to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Our time here on earth we're to consider as strangers and exiles. Because this is not where our citizenship is now. But rather it is anchored in Christ in his promises. Through this we share in the divine nature which leads then to escaping the corruption. Or, or that word in the Greek means decaying. The decaying that is in the world because of evil desires or lusts. So the way that we escape out of this is by embracing the promises and the identity that he has given to us. As we go through this series, what's the difference? Uh, we're going to be using the book of Second Peter uh, to look and examine different aspects of our life. 
next week uh, as we get into verses uh, 5 through 11. We're actually going to see some really practical ways to implement this within our life uh, and some clear direction on things to focus on. And I'm looking forward to going through that. But we need to first of all acknowledge this reality. That because of the goodness and glory of God himself, he has gifted us with the same faith that the apostles had. And that he gives us all things required for life and godliness. Great and precious promises that we would be hard-pressed to put a value on. And the challenge for this morning is do we live that way? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for this truth. I thank you for these profound statements made in Scripture uh, by Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, that we know are true because you say are true, uh, but yet feel strange to us, uh, perhaps because that is not how we approach life. It's not how we approach our faith. It's not how we approach uh, our decisions in this life or even our relationship with you. And Father, as you work in our hearts and reveal the areas of our lives, of our minds, of our hearts uh, that are anchored more in this world than you, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We thank you for this gift of faith. And we pray that you would help us to uh, abide in it, to abide in Jesus Christ as the vine and trust that you are the one that will produce fruit in our lives. And it's not our efforts, it's not our wisdom, it's not our goals, but it's yours. That our lives are not our own, but they're yours because you purchased us with the precious blood of Christ. And I pray that as we continue through this series, we would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in the promises that you have so graciously given to us in freedom, in peace, and in love. We praise you. The name of Jesus Christ, at which every knee shall bow. Amen.